How many of you like getting letters in the mail? Okay, I know some of you don't know what a letter is. I get that. But I really like getting letters. In fact, um, here's an example. A letter that was received a long time ago. We're going to talk about it a little later. But I don't like just any letters. Like, I don't like getting bills. I don't like getting advertisements. And what I really don't like is those advertisements that come now, and they look like they're handwritten letters, but they're really not. See, advertisers know that handwritten letters get opened. Why is that? Because we know somebody took enough time to put a pen or a pencil to paper and to write something to us. Even when we get a Christmas card or birthday card, other greeting cards, we hope that there's going to be a personal note included. Back when I was a youth pastor decades ago, I used to have these little postcards and I would go to kids' sporting events and concerts and afterwards I'd write a note, something like, hey Todd, I noticed you really made a great tackle in the third quarter this, this game and I'm pretty sure that quarterback's going to be feeling that till Tuesday. And grace and peace, Chris. I put that in the mail and two things usually happen as a result. The next time Todd saw me, he'd have a big smile on his face and he'd thank me profusely for the card and then the next time I'd go to his house, he'd ask me up to his room, and there on the wall or on a bulletin board would be that postcard. In fact, I have even seen postcards that I sent 35 years ago in the scrapbooks of former students who are now in early middle age. Why is that? Because personal notes and letters mean something. They tell someone that we care. This letter that I held up to you, it was written on September 27, 1960. It's from my mother to my grandma Lita, and uh, I'm going to read it to you. Uh, there's a note there about a cartoon. I didn't find the cartoon. She talks about a party. I have no idea what the party is about because I was three years old when this letter was written. Anyway, it says, Dear Mother, just a note to tell you, I have everything and all your friends invited. Chris just got cut. I told him to put Tom's razor up, and he wouldn't listen, so now he's mad at me because I didn't put it away. Tom must have took my pen to school. I can't find it anywhere. Clyde's working, but only three or four days a week. But it's only a temporary slump, I hope. I wanted to send you this cartoon. I took a little cry when I read it. Funny how many happy moments I have that have to do with baseball. Ken is hollering to get up, and Chris is crying with his cut. It's only a scratch, but you'd swear he had his hand cut off. Hope to see you Saturday. Love, Ruth. So, what does all that have to do with today's message? Actually, it has everything to do with today's message because this summer, we are going to work ourselves through the letter to the Galatians. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter, and it was a handwritten letter because every letter was written by hand back in those days to a church or churches that he had planted or started in Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey. Um, in the closing of Paul's letter, he tells us that he wrote it himself. This is what it says. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Paul wanted the believers in Galatia to be 100% sure that this was not an advertisement. This was not a forgery. This came from his very own hand. It was a very important letter. He had written it himself, and he wanted them to understand that. So, Paul had no idea when he wrote the letter that he was actually writing what, part of what we would call the Bible. But even without knowing that he was writing part of the Bible, I guarantee you that he, he prayed before he wrote this letter. I'm not guessing. That's because Paul prayed before he did just about everything. As we're going to see this letter unfold over the summer, we're going to see that Paul had a great mastery of what we would call the Old Testament. He had grave concern 
for his new converts in Galatia, and he wrote with the utmost seriousness to help them to overcome a problem. I titled the message, Hello and What the Heck? Now, if you've never read this letter to to the Galatians before, you're probably a little confused right now. If you have read it, you totally understand. You see, Paul wrote a letter. He did what we usually do when we write a letter. He wrote a greeting, a salutation, hello. And as he always did, he would let them know in some way that it was from Paul the Apostle. Then after that, what he usually did was he would move on to talking about God the Father or God the Father and Jesus or just Jesus. He usually didn't talk about the Holy Spirit, but there was usually some prayer to them on behalf of the group to which he was writing. And then usually, but not in this case, but usually Paul would move on by saying how much he cared about the group that he was writing to, how much he loved them, how much he missed them, how, how often he prayed for them. But in this case, when he wrote the letter, he did the greeting, and, but it was basically, hello, and what the heck? So before we turn to Galatians 1 to 10, I encourage you to pick up your Galatians booklet, that is if you picked one up at the church. I know uh, those of you who are watching online might not have had an opportunity to do that, but I would encourage you to do so. You can stop to the church anytime, Monday through Friday, 9 to noon. You can pick it up in the gathering area. It looks like this. It says Galatians Study and Prayer Guide. This is going to be our guide for the entire summer, and what we're going to do with this guide is we're going to work our way each week. For instance, this week, page 6, if you actually picked up the guide, already. Um, It has the title, Hello and What the Heck. It has the date. It has the take-home point, the next step. It has the scripture. And then at the bottom on page six, a place for notes. The top of page seven, a place for notes. And then at the bottom of page seven, it says opportunity for reflection and action. That little box every week is going to give you an opportunity throughout the week to look at a, a Probably one of the verses that we looked at or two gives you a little bit more chance to focus on that scripture and to carry out something in the week ahead uh, to sort of reinforce what we learned. And so you can live it out in your week as you go about each week. So that's going to be every week. And then there's actually a bonus section in this booklet starting on August 1st, from August 1st to the 21st, because we're going to have another 21 days of prayer and fasting. And in that section... We are going to see uh, not only scripture, but also some guidance for fasting and some prayer prompts as we work our way through that. Uh, As you look on page six, if you're still there at the very bottom, at the very top, it has the take home point. The take home point is not all good news is truly good. Let me say that again. Not all good news is truly good. Okay, before we turn to Galatians 1.1, which is on page 6, or, you know, it's going to be on the screen, let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you so much that you have provided us with information that we can take into our lives, into our minds, into our hearts, and so that we can be transformed by your Holy Spirit. In this particular instance, we're talking about the book of Galatians. And God, we pray not only today, but throughout the summer, as we work our way through this guide as we work our way through this letter, um, that we will be guided and directed to uh, understand you better, to know what our freedoms in your son Jesus are, and to live out the fruit of your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's see how Paul opens this highly personal and significant letter. He wrote, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father 
who raised Jesus from the dead. Now, it seems that Paul had a little bit of an edge going right from the beginning. Why would he need to tell people that he had been personally present, started the church, that he was appointed by God, by Jesus and by God the Father, that he was an apostle not sent by any human being? Why would he need to do that? Well, the short answer is Paul's authority was under attack by a group of people that we're going to meet this summer. We call them the Judaizers. They came into towns after Paul had started churches, and what they usually did was they would say, what Paul said isn't quite true. You need more than the good news of Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead for your salvation. You actually need the law of Moses. You need to read it. You need to understand it. You need to live it out to the letter. And so Paul was saying, hello, remember me? I'm the one that Jesus sent to tell you the good news. Paul adds, all the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. Paul was not a lone ranger. Every place he went, when he would preach the gospel, when a church began because people believed in Jesus, he would develop leaders. He would mentor them, disciple them. And when he left the town, he would leave leaders in charge. He would take some of those leaders with him as he ministered in other places. And he would even send some of those leaders to plant new churches. The point is, Paul was saying, this letter isn't just from me but it has the endorsement of all the other leaders, all the other brothers and sisters who are with me. Then Paul moved on to the the usual blessing from God that he offered in his letters. He said, May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Paul almost always extended a plea for God to give the people to whom he was writing his grace and peace. It's always grace and peace. It's never peace and grace. You know why? Because we don't get the peace of God until we've experienced the grace of God. Grace is God's unmerited favor in our life. It comes through the blood of Jesus. As Paul points out here, Jesus died on the cross to give us that new life. And once we receive that grace, that salvation, then we experience the peace that really passes all human understanding. Now, we don't see it yet, but what Paul is doing here is he's, all, he's laying out his case for the new lives that our freedom from sin and death have, have resulted from directly from Jesus' death on the cross and not from anything else, not anything that needs to be added. No Moses' law, nothing is needed to be added into this blessing. So we have Paul's hello. Now here comes the what the heck. Now remember, Hello, I'm greeting you, grace and peace. And then it says, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Now, if you've never read this letter before, you might be a little confused right now. And I'm guessing that when the Galatians opened this letter from Paul and started reading, they were confused. They couldn't understand why Paul was saying he was shocked at them. He, he, he hadn't said precisely what their behavior was just yet that had caused him to be shocked, but he's upset. They can tell right away he's upset. And, and that's where we get the take-home point because he says, you've been told this other good news. And the reality is not all good news is truly good. We are not going to talk about that good news today. What we're going to talk about is we might call it the fake good news. 
And the, the true good news emphasizes Jesus' sacrifice to save us from sin and death. That's the good news Paul preached. So what's the fake good news say? Well, the fake good news tells us that we have something to do with earning our salvation by what we do or how we behave. It takes something more than Jesus' blood shed on the cross, something more than his resurrection for our salvation to be effective. We have to do something about it. Now, as I said a couple weekends ago, that sounds a little bit right when we start saying, well, we need a few rules in our lives because we know we're not supposed to live according to the sinful natures of our lives. So when we talk about doing some things according to the rules, it sort of sounds right. But what we do has nothing to do with our salvation. It doesn't save us. What Jesus did is what saves us. How we live after we receive salvation is important. It's vitally important because it shows others that we're already believers. But it's only Jesus' action, his death on the cross, that provides our salvation. That's going to be Paul's point throughout this letter. So Paul starts getting wound up. He says, let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one that you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Wow. I mean, Paul says twice, anyone who has a different good news, a different gospel is going to be cursed. He says, I don't even care if it's an angel from heaven. If somebody comes to you and says anything different than what we already told you, Anyone that tells you that you have to do some kind of activity, some action to be saved, let them be cursed. You know, if anybody knew about doing something good to be saved, it was Paul. Paul had been a Pharisee, one of the most strict members of of the Jewish mostly ruling class, but it was really a religious group of people who followed the law of Moses as effectively as they could, as as, as frequently as they could. In fact, Paul told the Philippian church something about his willingness or ability, if he wanted to, to claim his Jewish heritage and his perfection according to the Mosaic law as a reason for his salvation. If anybody could do it, Paul could. Here's what he wrote. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Paul had obeyed the Jewish law without fault. But that is not the good news. That's what Paul's trying to get across here. He's saying the good news is Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. Paul wanted everyone to understand that the good news has nothing at all to do with our our goodness. And that's hard to hear. I mean, it's hard to hear as, as Americans. And I believe it's especially hard to hear if you're an American who has lived most of your life, more than half of your life in the 21st century, which is many of you who are watching right now. Why do I say that? Well, because we live in a culture that says either we're all basically good or else there's no such thing as good. Either we're wired to do what's right and we might need a little tweak here and there or else there's no such thing as right. But Paul says the good news starts with some really bad news. The bad news is we are not good and we will never become good enough in our own efforts. 
We Americans love to hear stories about people who have risen again above terrible circumstances, terrible ba- family backgrounds to be successful. I love those stories. After all, who can be against people overcoming terrible obstacles and odds to have good things happen? The challenge with that way of thinking is that we can start to think that when it comes to our relationship with God, all we need to do is be a little bit better. We need to pray a little bit harder. Maybe we need to give a little bit more. And then God will say, well, you know, that's not perfect, but it's good enough. The trouble is, if you or I were God, that might work. But God... (laughs) God only accepts perfection. And you might be thinking, come on, Chris, no one's perfect. If you think that no one's perfect, you're 99.9999999, a lot of nines percent accurate. No one has ever been perfect except for God. Jesus is the only human being who was ever perfect. One out of all the billions of people that have ever lived has been perfect. You see, God doesn't grade on a curve. And that's why Jesus had to come and die in our place. That's why the good news never has anything to do with our behavior. It always has to do with Jesus' sacrifice. Paul concluded the introduction to his letter by saying, Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. I resonate with that statement because all the way back in 1984, when I first preached my first message as as an ordained pastor at Crestview Presbyterian Church in Westchester, Ohio, I knew something that I have always continued to remember. It only matters what one person thinks. Don't get me wrong, I love it when one of you walks up to me after I preach and say, that was a really powerful message, or I learned something I never knew before. But what really matters is whether Jesus says, yes, Chris, that was the good news. Paul understood that he served Jesus. He said that he was a servant of Jesus. The funny thing is, the only time we can ever be truly free is when we serve Jesus. At this moment, I'm free of caring what you think about this message. I don't care if you think I, you know, am a great guy or if you care that the message was powerful or that it was interesting, it kept your attention. What I really care about is does Jesus think it's faithful? Because that's all that really matters. And you know the same is true when you're living out there in the real world. I always put quotes because I'm not sure. I think the real world is one where Jesus is in charge. But the real world out there where we live, it doesn't matter what your boss thinks. It doesn't matter what your teacher thinks. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks. We can be free of all that. Now, that doesn't mean we get to think, say, or do whatever we want. It means we get to think, say, or do the things that are in line with what Jesus thinks, says, and does. And wants us to think, say, and do. Because he is in charge. We are his servants. You know, we're going to be some of the best students, some of the best employees, or some of the best whatever it is that we do when we're free of what others think and we only care about what Jesus thinks. We produce the most fruit. That is the most significant results in our lives when we're exercising our freedom as Jesus' slaves. Now, that doesn't sound right, but it's true. When we are understanding that we are Jesus' slaves or servants, that's when we actually have the most freedom and that's when we can bear the most results. And so... How our freedom in Jesus Christ results in fruit for his kingdom is part of what this whole summer is about. The reason it's called freedom and fruit is we're talking about freedom in Jesus Christ and fruit or results for his kingdom because living in him. And that's why today's next step is I will live in Jesus' freedom this week so I will bear fruit to his glory. The the good news really is we are free. 
from sin and death. We're free from um, living our lives according to what other people think. We're free to live meaningful, purposeful lives in Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf. And we will bear amazing fruit when we know that and when we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. The good news is we do get to bear fruit, results that will last for eternity because we belong to Jesus. Don't ever believe any other good news because not all good news is truly good. Amen. So, you know, even with this brief introduction to the letter to the Galatians that tells us that the only way that we receive salvation is through Jesus, it's so easy to think that there's something that we do, that there's some effort, some good deed or good deeds on our part that will just let us be good enough that God will say, hey, come on in whenever we face him one day. The truth of the matter is, it's very simple to follow Jesus. It's simple to be born again, as Jesus called it, but it's not easy. Here at New Life, we say it's as simple as ABC. Um, A means we admit that we're sinners. And if you've never done that before, I would encourage you right now to admit to God, to admit to yourself first that you're a sinner. B is believe. We believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that He's Lord and Savior of all people. And that's for us personally. We believe that right now. And then C is confess, which means to confess our sins to God, but also to confess to other people that Jesus is Lord and Savior in our lives. I'm going to ask you to pray with me right now because in a moment we're going to share the Lord's Supper together. And as we always say here at New Life, those who share the Lord's Supper don't have to be members of New Life, but you do need to be a member of the body of Jesus Christ, part of His family. And that happens simply by trusting Him as Savior and Lord. So let's pray together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for Your goodness and love. We thank You right now that each of us can be part of your family. And I pray for any who are watching online right now who have never said yes to Jesus being Savior and Lord, that right now they would simply say, yes, Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that you are who you say you are. You are Lord and God. You are Savior, Rescuer for me personally. And I confess right now the sins of my life. And, and I'm willing to say before anybody who will listen, that Jesus is now my Savior, my Lord, my God. Thank you, God, for the opportunity that we have to, to be part of your family. And we thank you that we get to celebrate together what it means to be part of your family right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.